Get our Bibles out this morning. I hope you enjoyed worshiping this morning. We're in Proverbs chapter 6. How you guys doing out there? Amen. Everybody's awake, alert, in their right mind. See that you're clothed. That's good. Proverbs chapter 6 today. This is part 5 of our sermon series on Proverbs 6. Proverbs... God's wisdom for us. There's 31 Proverbs, one for each day of the month. Proverbs helps to renew our minds. How many think that the world we live in, this crazy world we live in, could use the wisdom of God? Amen. That starts with the people of God having the the mind of Christ that comes through the renewing of our minds. And Proverbs will renew the mind. We're in Proverbs chapter 6 today. I'm going to thank God for the word. Then I'm going to Read verses 16 through 19. You're going to listen to me and preach back to me and say amen and be alive this morning. Amen. I'm saying that by faith. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you that we could come into your presence with joy and gladness in our hearts and worship you. And Holy Spirit, we realize that worship prepares us for the word. It opens our hearts and our minds so that the Holy Spirit can drive the word deep into our hearts. Do exactly that this morning, Holy Spirit. Drive the truth of your word into our hearts. Renew our minds. Give us wisdom for a hurting world. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Proverbs 6, verse 16, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. So far, we've covered many things in chapter 6 here, many topics, and I encourage you, the first four parts of this sermon series, if you haven't heard them, to get online and get them in your spirit. But we're at this section here in Proverbs 6 where God is talking about seven things that God hates. And so far, we've looked at a proud look, and we understand why pride is destructive. It hurts both the person who's proud and the person who is the victim of pride. Then we looked at lying. And you know what? The truth is none of us want to be lied to. If you've ever been lied to before, you know the feeling of being deceived, tricked by someone. It's just a horrible position to be put in where someone that you trusted lied to you. So we understand this about the proud look and the lying tongue, and we've explored and unpacked those two things. Verse 17b here talks about hands that shed innocent blood. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Hands that shed innocent blood. Notice that word innocent is important. And the fact that blood being shed, we're going to look at all of these things. But God hates it when people uh, murder, when they take life, when when they do things to destroy what he loves. Remember we said God hates these seven things because they hurt what he loves. And God loves people. I don't know what hurts people more than the shedding of innocent blood. And that's why God says he hates it. Now, while it may seem strange to talk about the God who's described in 1 John 4, 16 as love, God is love, John said, hating things. He hates things because these things hurt people. We get it about pride and lying. Let's talk about hands that shed innocent blood. Shedding innocent blood, when we look at this text here, we have to realize right out of the box, there are two very distinct 
th things that happen when blood is shed. One is killing and the other is murder. Say killing. Murder. Those are two different distinct things, and we're going to see that this morning. But the shedding of blood, uh, one of these two things is going to happen when blood is shed. It'll be the killing or murder. Now, when some, someone or something is killed, there is the shedding of blood. The blood of a man or the blood of an animal, when it is shed, is significant in the sight of God. Can I get an amen? You say, well, what's the significance of it? What's the big deal? Because the blood represents the divine life force of creation put into us by the creator. You know, things that don't have blood are, are not living. I mean, I guess plants don't have blood, but you know what I'm talking about? The, the, the blood that's in an animal, the blood that's in a human. If you don't have blood, you know, you're not alive. You know, sometimes the older we get, we feel like maybe there's no moving parts working in here and... You, you know, you go to the doctor, and there's, there's more things broken that are, than are working. And you look at life, and what, what is life? It's that divine life force that comes from the blood that is in us. Leviticus 17.11 gives us two clues as to why blood is significant to God. Leviticus 17.11 says this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Hey, I'm preaching here. I don't need competition. Them babies are much cuter than me. I can't compete. The life of the flesh is in the blood. That's what Leviticus is saying. Listen to this. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. What is it? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Look what Leviticus is saying. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So Leviticus is telling us two things here about blood and why it's significant to God. Number one, the life is in the blood. I, I, I started about this. You know, if you don't have blood, you're not alive. How many like to go to the doctors for your annual physical? One person's raising their hand. Well, you know, they draw blood from us, and once they do, we're busted. Come on, you can't tell, oh, I'm eating good, I'm exercising, doctor, yeah, exercising, yeah, you're tipping the scale, it's a little heavy, what? you know, oh, I'm eating good. Then, the, then your blood work comes back. And you can't lie to the doctor after that because it's all right there on paper. Your triglycerides, your blood sugar, this, that, the LDL, HDL, the EIEIO, it's all in there. <laughs> and you can't trick him. He's like, yeah, you're, eat, you're eating bacon, that's what you're eating. You need, you need to... I got a little Italian doctor. He smacks me, yells at me. I don't go see him much. Because you know, the life is in the blood. And that blood, you know, when they do blood work, man, all you can sit there and hang your head. Yeah, I, yeah, I had ice cream for breakfast. I did it, yeah. God wants to know blood is significant. It is the life force in us. It tells us everything that's going on under the hood, as it were. And there's no, there's, there's no denying it. The life is in the blood. Also, it's, Leviticus is also reminding us that it's blood that's required, the life of something, to atone for sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, they covered themselves with, you know, grape leaves or whatever kind of leaves. They made themselves a covering because they were ashamed of their sin. What did God do? Immediately, God killed animals and used animal skins to cover them. Why? Because there had to be a shedding of blood to cover the sin, even a temporary covering. 
In the Old Testament, the Jewish sacrificial system, they had to make offering of animals. They had to shed blood on the altar as a temporary covering for sin. And without the shedding of blood, there was no covering. They couldn't approach God in his holiness. And in their sinfulness, there was a chasm between them that even uh, the shedding of the blood of animals covered enough for them to commune with God. Are you getting this? Thank God for Jesus, the Lamb of God, who shed his blood for the sins of the world. Amen. As Hebrews tells us, a one-time sacrifice, one and done. There's no need for us to sacrifice bulls and uh, uh, sheep and goats. No, there's no need for that anymore. Jesus' blood has been shed to cover our sins. So blood is the divine life force. The life is in the blood. It is the mechanism that God uses to atone for sin. Hebrews 9.22 And almost all things are cleansed with blood according to the law. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, blood is shed in both killing and murder. Remember, we mentioned those two things to to show that there's a distinction and a difference. Let's talk about killing this morning. Killing is a part of life in this fallen world, and it is not necessarily a sin. If you stepped on a bug on the way to your car this morning, you did not murder a bug and you did not commit a sin. And there's some hippies out there who aren't buying it. Listen to me. In this fallen world, death is a part of life. And killing is a part of living in this fallen world. And killing is different than murder. We're going to show that in just a minute. But when when a cow or a fish or a chicken is killed for food, that's not a sin. If killing an animal to eat it was a sin, Jesus would be a sinner because Jesus ate lamb on the Passover and he taught others to do so. So if Jesus was a sinner, his death on the cross couldn't save us, so we should all go home right now. Or better yet, I'll meet you at the diner because we're wasting our time. So killing a a fish, a cow, a pig, a chicken for food is not a sin. Uh, When a person is killed in a just war or in a self-defense innocent situation, that's not a sin. When someone is killed unintentionally, uh, your car slides out of control on the ice and you you slam into others and, and their lives taken, that is not murder. That's killing and it's not a sin. Now, murder is completely different than killing. While killing is usually not a sin, and I mean, there are times where, you know, it it goes into murder, but I want to show you, murder is completely different. You say, why? Because murder is the intentional shedding of innocent blood, and that is always a sin in the sight of God. When man intentionally sheds the the blood of another who's innocent, that's murder. When a child is killed in the womb for convenience, that's murder. When a criminal kills someone to take their possessions, that's murder. When armies kill civilians to subdue a nation like we're seeing in Ukraine, that's murder. When governments kill those who oppose them and enforce tyranny, that's murder. Mass murder is still the way many governments do business. The past few decades have showed us terrifying examples in Rwanda, Cambodia, Darfur, Bosnia. Joseph Stalin killed between 20 and 60 million Russians during World War II to enforce communism on Russia. Six million Jews were killed by the Nazis in Germany, but 20 to 60 million Russians? 
That's murder. Murder is the shedding of innocent blood. Killing is part of life in a fallen world. When you kill a chicken or a pig, when you go out and have your lunch today and you have yourself a chicken sandwich, you did not murder the chicken. So enjoy your lunch. But understand, the shedding of innocent blood is a horrific thing in the sight of God. Now, Exodus 20, 13 is where we find God's commandment in the Old Testament, thou shall not murder. And interestingly enough, some versions of the, the Scripture, they translate that thou shall not kill. Now, the truth is that is a bad translation because the Hebrew word is ratzak, and it means manslayer or murderer. So the King James, that is one of the best translations, makes this translational error. The new King James fixed it. The King James says, thou shall not kill. A bad translation. Thou shall not murder. Why? Because when we go back to the Hebrew, it has everything to do with the shedding of innocent blood. So realize there's a difference between killing and murder, and God takes it very seriously. Now, the truth is, it is a plague upon humanity, this idea that one takes another's life in an unjust way. And the truth is that even since the dawn of creation, the, in the first family, murder showed itself. Adam and Eve had two sons, and one son killed the other. Oh, we're off to a good start, humanity. We were in the garden. Everything was good. They had to go apple picking. Some of you should smile. And they sinned. And what did they do? They had two sons, and one of them sons rose up against the other and murdered him. Now listen to the account in Genesis 4, starting in verse 3. Genesis 4, 3, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flocks of, the, of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, and he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So here, one brother brings some salad, one brother brings meat. What are we to conclude? God likes steak, but he doesn't like salad. No, there was a difference. See, the one gave his very best, and the other one gave just some of what he had. And that's where the, that's where the issue was. God respected one, and God didn't respect the other. So, so what happened here? But the Lord did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So he sinned, and he gets corrected, and he doesn't accept the correction. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, if you do what is good, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Listen to that. And it is desire is for you to rule over you. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel and killed his brother. The first family, the first brothers, and the end result is one brother murdering another. Murder is in the spiritual DNA of fallen man. If we look at the, you know, from this first murder, many, many more multiplied millions have transgressed in the same way as Cain, and murder is a part of our life. Now, how is murder part of the world we live in today? You say, Pastor, that's Old Testament, old news, old story. Well, how does murder 
show itself in our world today, I want to give you five ways. Number one, there's murder in our streets. We live in a civilized world. We live in the most technologically advanced society that ever was. And still, we kill each other on a routine basis. There's murder in our streets. Now, don't get all quiet on me now. But the truth is that you can't turn the TV on. You can't listen to the news. You can't go a day without hearing about the fact that people are killing one another. It's a plague and an epidemic in our nation and in the nations around the world. In America, as in the rest of the world, we've cultivated a culture of violence. We, now, listen to me. We live in a world that everywhere you go, every movie you watch, every TV show you watch, there's violence in it. There's people shooting each other, killing each other, you know, brutalizing each other. And, and what does that do? Our movies are full of violence. Our TV is full of violence. The video games that we put out now, each one has to outdo the next to where it's so graphic and so violent that it's almost as if, you know, you're in that situation actually doing those things. Oh, you're getting quiet on me now. And, you know, people say, well, that movies and TV and video games, that doesn't affect us. It's affected us as a culture. Do you know, during Vietnam, they discovered that soldiers were being found dead in firefights because they wouldn't pull the trigger on their rifles. And so the army developed a program where they would use video games uh, attached to, you know, real simulated rifles where they would teach the soldiers not to think but to acquire a target and pull the trigger. And then through muscle memory, they trained these soldiers to get past the aversion of not wanting to pull the trigger to the point where they had cultivated a type of soldier that would just reflexively kill. And you want to tell me that that same technology in our movies, our TVs, and our video games hasn't affected a generation where we see people who shoot up schools and shoot up malls and shoot up neighborhoods? Come on, where do they get that from? They've been conditioned through the violence of our culture. Some of you better clap. I'm going to be waiting for you by your car when I'm done. Oh, pastor, you just, you know, you don't want us to have any fun. We got to look around and see what's going on in our world today. You know, there's violence in our street. The murder rate between 2019 and 2020 has risen 29.4%. That's the steepest climb that, that we've seen in, in decades where people are now in our streets, in our inner cities, just shooting each other up and murdering each other. There was almost 1,000 murders within the first five months of the year in Chicago alone. 71 people were shot and eight were killed on 4th of July weekend just in Chicago alone. Our urban inner cities are more dangerous. It is more dangerous to live in some of these urban inner city sections where they're just every week and every day, they're killing each other over drugs and turf and whatever. It was more dangerous to live there than to serve in Afghanistan where we'd have maybe two or three casualties a month. And in Chicago, 70, 80 shot on a weekend. Church. How have we fallen so fast? We empty the jails and don't punish criminals and wonder why the crime rate goes up. The insanity of what we're doing as a nation, of what the nations are doing. There's murder in our streets, and we need to pray for its end. 
there's also, number two, murdering our world through evil governments. Throughout history, governments, those who take charge of people and lead, have murdered its citizens. We talked about the, all the millions that Stalin murdered, and, and it goes on and on. It's throughout history, uh, throughout all of you know, these times we see nations through evil government systems. Now, listen, God instituted government, but he doesn't sanction and bless governments that are evil. And there are nations that systematically kill their people, China, India, North Korea. Do you know it's more dangerous to be a Christian in North Korea than any place on the earth? If they catch you practicing, you know, your faith, you are dead. Good morning, Full Gospel Center. Let's talk about the truth in church. Governments commit mass murder and genocide. They kill Christians. They kill Muslims. They kill people with different sexual orientations. They just flat out declare open season on Christianity. I talked about North Korea, but Afghanistan, Pakistan, Sudan, Yemen, Iran, Somalia, on and on it goes. Government-sanctioned murder. And let's not kid ourselves. Our government is not so blameless either. Amen. We need to pray that God brings justice and judgment upon these governmental systems that persecute Christians, that persecute minorities, the evil that goes on in the world that we are unaware of. Using slave labor in China to make sneakers for us so we can have them cheap. Taking whole groups of people and enslaving them, jailing them, murdering them. Mass graves in Bosnia. There's murder in our streets. There's murder in our world through evil governments. And number three, there's murder in our world through constant unjust warfare. Do you know if you study human history, you can scarcely find any period during human history that some nation wasn't at war with another nation. I've looked at it before, but there has been continual war and there's been continual bloodshed in all recorded modern history. It seems to never stop. And so people are killed through this unjust warfare. Now, let me say something. Nations have a right to exist. Let me try that on this side. Nations have a right to exist. Jesus is coming back to rule over the nations. If we weren't have, supposed to have nations, then God would have never sanctioned it. The reason that, the, the fact that Jesus is coming back to rule over the nations and judge the nations, and the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, shows me that God is in this idea of nations. Now, nations have a right. Now, this comes smacks right in the face of globalism and the one world governmental system and the antichrist system that the, that the global elitists are trying to effectuate. But Jesus is coming back to rule the nations. So, amen. So nations have a right to exist and nations have a right to defend themselves from aggressors. Nations have a right to borders. Let me try that on this side. Nations have a right to have borders. If you can't control your border, now, if you, if you just let anything and everything through your border, you don't have a nation. 
and we, we want to say, well, if you don't just let anybody march through the border and get free this and free that and become a citizen, then you're a racist or you're this or you're that. Listen to me. What's marching through our border is drugs and fentanyl and human trafficking and sex trade and all of that nonsense is marching right through our borders. And don't think it's for humanitarian purposes. Everybody's pockets who are in charge are getting lined with filthy lucre, and it's a stench in the nostrils of God. Nations have a right to defend themselves, to have borders. You can't have freedom without it. Yet throughout history, other nations have always sought to conquer, to plunder, to enslave other nations, and they're willing to commit mass murder and genocide to do it. This is not old-time history. This is modern-day, current-day, right-now stuff that's going on. You say, well, is there a difference in God's sight between a just war and an unjust war? Absolutely. When the Allies opposed Nazi Germany in the light of history, we can see that that was a just thing as we liberated a Nazi concentration camps where Jews were being killed and incinerated, where six million Jews were killed. We can look back, and I hope we can all agree that that was a just thing to stop the Nazis in doing what they were doing in World War II. And at the same time, on the other side of the coin, I hope we can see when Russia attacks Ukraine and bombs civilian areas because they can't beat them on the battlefield to get a warm water port, I hope we can agree that that's not just. Do you realize the millions that have been displaced, the thousands that have been killed, and it hardly makes it to the news anymore? Genocide taking place. History repeats itself. Those 20 to 60 million uh, Russians that Stalin killed during World War II, the majority of them were Ukrainian farmers who would not submit to the tyranny of communism. And history repeats itself as thousands and thousands of Ukrainians, millions being displaced, are now suffering the same murderous genocide that happened under Stalin. Open our eyes, God to see the injustice in this world, and to pray for peace. There's murder in our streets. There's murder through evil governments. There's murder through unjust warfare. You say, well, who decides if a war is just or not? God alone can make that decision. Amen? Number four, there's murder in the womb through abortion. If the church can't agree at this point with all the technology, with all that we can see through ultrasound, with all we can see how life in the womb and a baby in the womb, if we can't agree at this point that aborting a baby in the womb that has fingers and toes and eyes and can yawn and, and, and can react, and, and listen, if we can't agree that that's murder, I don't know what to say. It's not convenience. It's not somebody's choice. It's not a lifestyle decision. Abortion, it's murder. And since the passing of Roe versus Wade in 1973, 63,459,781 babies have been slaughtered in American abortion mills. And the godly and the righteous have cried against it, and the churches have cried against it, and the Christians have cried against it, and still it continued to the point where finally it took the Supreme Court to reverse the decision. But listen, that doesn't stop abortion on American soil. 
Killing a baby in the sanctity of the womb is one of the most horrific things to do. If there's one place a child should be safe in this world, it's in the womb of its mother. The ramifications and the implications of abortion on our culture and our society and on our spiritual integrity are profound. Genesis 4.10 says this. This is when Cain killed Abel. And listen to God's response in Genesis 4.10. God said, he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Think about that. God Almighty in heaven, the Lord over all creation, heard the sound of one man's innocent blood crying from the ground. And it was heard in his ears. If the cry of the injustice of one man's blood was able to catch the attention of our holy God in heaven, can you even begin to imagine the deafening cacophony of almost 64 million babies, their blood crying from American soil for justice in the ears of a holy God? It's murder. It's the shedding of innocent blood. There's no one more innocent than a baby in its mother's womb. Now, we feel for those and we love those who are in unplanned pregnancies or in situations that are difficult. We understand that and we should do everything we can to help them and counsel them and make provision for them. But we can never justify using abortion as birth control. God help us. There's murder in our streets. There's murder through wicked governments. There's murder through unjust warfare. There's murder in the womb. And thank God, uh, at least we're trying to pump the brakes on it here a little bit to get people to realize that the injustice of that blood that cries from the ground demands the action of God in heaven. God help us when the grace runs out. Number five, the fifth way we see murder in our world today is Interesting and unique for the Christian who listened to the first four points and said, well, I would never be involved in any of that. I would never sanction any of that. I don't approve of that stuff. That's all. You know, that doesn't touch me. Listen, to the Christian who thinks they would never even have the remote possibility of murdering, let's consider that there's two other ways, according to Scripture, that we can murder. We can murder with our heart and we can murder with our tongue. Listen to 1 John 3.15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. When we hate someone in our heart, especially the scripture saying a brother and sister in Christ, that when we hate someone because they hurt us and we haven't forgiven them and we fostered that anger and bitterness until it turned into hate, we've actually murdered that person in our heart. And Jesus wants us to know it's murder, and it needs to be dealt with. Have you ever been hurt by another brother and sister? Have you ever been deceived by other Christians? Did you have pastors stand behind pulpits and lie to you and deceive you and, and walk in immorality or misuse finances, and you're angry and you're bitter, and you look at that person, and even though they say you're Christian, I hate that person. No, I get it, and none of us are above it but we have got to extend grace. Least we murder someone in our heart. You can murder with the heart. 
if we refuse to extend grace. You can murder with the heart when you refuse to forgive someone, whether they deserve it or not. You can murder in the heart where you discount a person because of something they've done, and you cut them off from the grace of God. We can also murder with our tongues. Listen to Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So, you know, death and life, what is that? You know, we can actually kill someone with our tongue. We can speak, and we've all known people with toxic tongues who lie and deceive and attack a person, maybe in the public realm, and they, they cast doubt on their integrity and character, and they undermine them, and they cause people to dismiss them. And with that toxic tongue, they literally murder or assassinate a person's character. Be careful what you say about others. Man, this is for all of us. I don't know about you, but when I see what's going on in the world, I, I don't get happy, clappy, goosebumpy feelings. I get angry and upset. We talked about righteous indignation. When the, when the wicked rule, the righteous groan, amen? When we see the wickedness in the world, the righteous groan, but we have to be very careful not to hate people and not to assassinate people with our tongues. None of us are above it. All of us are capable in the flesh of doing it. And God says, and Jesus says, and the word says, it's murder. When we murder someone with our heart or we murder someone with our tongue. So it's in our streets, it's in our governments, it's in the unjust warfare that occurs continuously and perpetually in the world. It's in the womb and it's in our hearts, and it's on our lips. The Father heart of God is shattered by those who would shed innocent blood. When you and I have a steak for lunch today, we're not murderers. But those who shed innocent blood commit murder, and it breaks the heart of God, and he hates it because it hurts people, and it hurts families, and it hurts society in untold ways. And we should pray for the grace of God to change the heart of men, to change the heart of God's people, to turn the tide of abortion and war and murder in our streets. Let's bow our heads today. Lord, we understand why... It would break your heart when your creation sheds innocent blood, when man snuffs out the life force that you put inside creation. And Father, we pray that as Christians, we would be vocal and stand against all the injustices of the world. And at the same time, that you would deal with our hearts and our mouths so that as we lamented the things we see all around us, we wouldn't be guilty of the same things. Help us to reverence life and help us to speak words that bring life to others, not to condemn, not to run down, not to tear apart with a toxic tongue others that are lost, but to speak words of life, to speak light into the darkness, to be life givers, those who celebrate life and not those who shed innocent blood. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise this morning. Amen.